Well, it's good to see you tonight, and I so appreciate uh, Pastor and Sharon giving me an opportunity to share. And if I were sitting out where you are sitting right now and seeing Pastor there and me here, I'd be like, well, I, I think I'd rather be hearing Pastor speak tonight, so I get it, and so the pressure is on. But I want to just say I don't often uh, get an opportunity to say this as much as I would like to but uh, I love and appreciate our church, Vitra Church. Obviously, we do. Uh, otherwise, we wouldn't have been here 20 years now, and we absolutely love being a part of it. And um, I do. I appreciate the opportunity, appreciate the opportunity to have joined this team, this great team, a number of years ago. Uh, a lot of you may not know this, but uh, Pastor Ashley, uh, for many, many, many years before I ever came to uh, Vitry Church, was one of the primary mentors for me. I was actually, Pastor was in the district office, and some of you know this, but most of you don't. When Pastor was in the district office, I was a Southeastern student, also serving, going to school full-time, serving as a youth pastor part-time at a church, which meant that I got a part-time check, but I worked full-time because I was, you know how that works, a part-time youth pastor. But just, I love what I was doing, put it in a lot of hours, school, loved it. And at that point in time, a Pastor was traveling, speaking somewhere every weekend, so uh, Sharon and the kids were uh, in the church. So I was the youth pastor at all the Blackburn kids uh, for a long, long time. And then at that point in time, I uh, graduated from Southeastern, and I'm like, the church that I was at and loved it, but felt like God had another chapter for our family. So I went to pastor. I remember this so very well, uh, just calling him up and saying, Pastor, I need some help. I need some guidance. And would you just, uh, I need some coaching. And so we talked, and God used him to speak into my life, and then really ultimately led me to uh, back when I was in my late 20s going to pastor a church up in Northeast Florida. And any time that I ever had to make a big decision, I'm like, I've got to call pastor. And I'd get on the phone, and he was just been influential in my life now since I was a college student, and I value that, and I appreciate that. It's wonderful to have great men of God speaking into your life over the years. I can remember, uh, you know, I grew up in church. I got away from the Lord in some of my teenage years, and, and then I recommitted. I mean, I got serious about my commitment to Jesus when I was 15 years of age, and I'm just telling you, I grew up in church, but there was a lot, and it wasn't no fault of anybody's in the church, but I just didn't know a whole lot about the Bible. I can remember when I first became a Christian, uh, I was 15, uh, shortly thereafter, my grandmother, because she had worked at a hospital there in the suburbs where we lived. She had worked there since, since Noah was in middle school. She had been in that hospital a long, long time, and so she got me a job when I was 16 years of age at the end of the evening. Normally, now you know this, normally they don't let 16-year-olds do brain surgery, but there was an exception, and so able to do that a little bit. But really, I worked in the x-ray department. And in the evenings, I'd work till uh, midnight, work 4 to 12, go to school during the day, work 4 to 12. And about 9 o'clock, 9.30, it would quiet down. And I'd get in that back area, and I just, you know, I knew as a Christian, and again, I'm a new Christian in many respects, been a Christian at that point for a few months. Again, grew up in church. And I, that was an opportunity for me to do my devotions. And I can remember sitting back, and because I worked in the x-ray department, I was in the back, and I'd, I'd flip on all these lights where the doctors would read x-rays. They weren't there, and I'd just set my Bible out. And I can remember trying to learn the Bible, and I, I started in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, and I read all the way. This may have happened to you. I read all the way through Matthew and then I'm like, okay, got Matthew done, all 28 chapters, time to read the next gospel. 
Uh, Mark. Now, nobody ever told me this. Nobody had ever set me down and explained to me the synoptic gospels. That is just written by, you know, Matthew wrote Matthew, Mark, and Luke wrote Luke, and Acts, and John the apostle. But nobody ever explained that to me. So you could imagine how I felt when I went into Mark chapter 1, and I started reading Mark chapter 1, and I got into chapter 2, and I got into chapter 3. I'm kidding you not. I'm not making this up. I'm like, I can remember the night I was sitting there, and I'm like, it seems like I have read this somewhere before. And I had. I'd read it in Mark's, you know, Matthew's gospel and got to Luke, and I'm like, haven't I read Matthew? And then eventually I got it, and my home pastor, again, great men of God, have spoken into my life for a long time. And uh, Pastor Jerry Bray walked up to me one Sunday after church. Again, I'm a pretty new Christian, and he says to me, he says, Jeff, I want you to take over the Bible quiz team of our church. And I'm, you know, I'm like, I didn't feel prepared to be on the team, much less lead the team. So I immediately opened my Bible to second hesitations and started giving him the reasons why I was the wrong person to do that. And did that and learned because when you lead, often you learn. And so um, I'm thankful for that. And I love the Bible. How about you? It's my favorite book out of every book. I never read a book more than once, never see a movie more than once, but I love reading the Bible. Does this ever happen to you? You're reading the Bible, and probably by now a lot of you have been Christians longer than I have. You've read the Bible maybe more than I have, but I've read it a lot. Have you ever had this experience? Do you still have it today where you get to a passage? You know you've read it 15, 20 or more times, and then it's like all of a sudden, it's just illuminated to you. You have that experience where you look and you're like, I don't know that I have ever seen that before. And we know that we have seen it before because we've read it before, but God speaks to us in that moment. I want to take you to probably one of the, if not the most familiar places in all of the Bible, and I'm going to lift a phrase from it and talk about that tonight. But it really you know, emerges out of uh, Jesus' followers coming to him, and they're like, uh, Jesus, we know that you've got prayer down. We know that you have this connection with the Father. The Bible says that often Jesus would slip away. I love this language. That he would slip away to lonely places to pray and to spend time with God. And his followers recognize that. So one day they're standing around with Jesus and they're having this dialogue and they're like, Jesus, we, we know we've got a lot to learn, but one of the things that we would really, really like for you to teach us, if you would teach us how to pray. Now, you know this, guys are going to put it on the screen, and I'd love it if you would read it with me. And there's this phrase that's already highlighted that we're going to talk about for a few moments tonight, but you know this, but let's all read it aloud. All means all, that's all of us, so let's all read it aloud. Here we go. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Look at the next part. Okay? That. All right. We'll stop there. John Casis, um, some of you may not know that name, but how many of you remember the glory days of the Chicago Bears? The Bears, D-A, the Bears. How many of you remember that? Coach Mike Dicka. And those were, those were like the best days ever in the Chicago Bear uh, franchise. Uh, John Cases, uh, 
uh, was one of the inspirational leaders of the Chicago Bears during those glory years, and he often gave short talks to the players on game day. And I ran across this story not too long ago. As John tells it, and I want you to sort of insert yourself into the locker room and see how this would play out. As John tells it, Mike Dicka was about to deliver a locker room pep talk one day, as coaches often would do. He looked up and saw defensive tackle William Refrigerator Perry. How many of you remember the fridge? All right, how many of you know that what we just read was the Lord's Prayer, right? So, the refrigerator, uh, he's there, and, uh, you know, John says, how could you have not seen the refrigerator at 338 pounds? He stood out even in a crowd of pro football players. Dicka gestured to the fridge, and this is what he said. He said, when I'm finished giving this talk, I'd like for you to close with the Lord's Prayer. And the coach began to give his talk. Meanwhile, Jim McMahon, how many of you remember Jim McMahon? Uh, he was this brash and outspoken quarterback. He punched John Cases. He said, look at Perry over there. Uh, he doesn't know. This is what he said. He doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. Sure enough, William Refrigerator Perry sat with a look of panic on his face, and then his head went in his hands. He was sweating profusely. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. It's what John Cases says. Everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. This is what he said to McMahon in disbelief. After a few minutes of them watching the refrigerators, he says, leaking several gallons of sweat, McMahon nudged Cases again. Listen to this. He said, I'll bet you 50 bucks fridge, fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. I'll bet you 50 bucks he doesn't know it. As Casey tells the story, he stops to reflect on the absurdity of it all. He says, here we are betting 50 bucks of all things on the Lord's Prayer. When Coach Dicka finished his pep talk, he nodded at Perry and bowed his head. It was quiet for a few moments before the fridge spoke finally in a shaky voice, and this is what he said. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord, my soul to keep. How many of you know that's a great part of the story? But I think the greater part of the story comes next because Casey says, I felt a nudge on my shoulder. It was Jim McMahon, and he said, I'll get you your $50. I had no idea Perry knew the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> All right, so maybe that's a couple of them. That phrase you saw I highlighted, and we'll talk about it for a few moments our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And, and I want to give you just sort of a theological construct here and then, you know, toward the latter half of this message, how does this really apply? Because we could read through it and say, well, you know, I see, you know, what it means, I understand, uh, but how do I take this? How do I apply it? How do I make it meaningful to my own life? Our Father in heaven, and now this phrase we're going to talk about for a few moments, hallowed be your name. And maybe much like me, you've read through the Lord's Prayer many, many times before, other portions of Scripture, and, and you read through it pretty quickly, and you weren't thinking a whole lot about it because you wanted to get a certain amount of verses or certain amount of passages read. And we've come across that, but maybe we've never really hit pause to just say, when Jesus is teaching them, because they're like, Lord, teach us how to pray. We really, really want to know how to pray. And Jesus is like, you're serious? Yes, we're serious. All right, this is how you, do, you should pray. Pray in this manner, our Father in heaven. And then he said, you follow that up with, how would be your name? Now, 
I don't want to get too technical right here, but what does that word hallowed mean? It actually means this. It comes from a, and this won't mean a whole lot to you, but it comes from a Greek word, hagiadso, and it also is translated this way. It means holy. Holy is your name, or holiness, or sanctify, or sanctification. Actually, it means in this context to make holy or to purify or to consecrate, to venerate, to respect, to reverence, to worship. One Bible scholar explains it like this, to hallow, and I think this is insightful, to hallow is to make holy or to honor as holy, to set apart. And Jesus said, when you're praying to our great Father in heaven, make sure that you treat God's name, that you hallow it, that you make it holy. So, when this word is associated with our Heavenly Father, what what does it mean? And we need to talk about that. But then, again, toward the latter half, how does this, you know, impact our life? What does it mean for us? Is there any applicable portion of this for you and for me? Well, I want to give you, and if you're taking notes or some thoughts you'd want to hang on to, you know, you could already start way back in the Old Testament. One of the things that God starts doing early on is He starts revealing just how holy that he actually is. God's like, all right, I'm going to demonstrate to you how holy that I am. And, and certainly, in a, uh, you know, the time that we have, I can't mention too many, but I want to mention uh, three or four maybe just quickly. Uh, first of all, you may want to jot this down somewhere, uh, somewhere. God revealed his holiness, and we know this, but I'm reminding you of it tonight, that God revealed his holiness to Moses at the burning bush. And we know that. Uh, Here Moses is watching over the flock of his father-in-law. He's in Midian, and he leads the flock to the far side of the desert. We know that. And he at this point is near Mount Horeb when suddenly something rather dramatic, to say the least, captures his attention. He looks out, and you know the story. There's a bush that is on fire. And a lot of scholars say, well, that's not necessarily a big deal because this would have happened from time to time, the heat and such, that a bush might would uh, catch on fire. But what makes this unique is the bush is on fire, but it does not burn up. This is not the first bush that has ever caught fire, but this is the first one that it is burning, but it is not burning up. How many of you know, had you been in Moses' shoes, that would have captured your attention as well. And it does. It's strange. It's dramatic. And Moses walks up. He gets in close uh, proximity to this bush. And as he does, uh, in this bush, out of this fire, uh, out of this bush that is not burning up, uh, this phenomenon, he wants to get a closer look. And while he's looking closer, uh, a voice speaks to him from this bush, and it becomes a big deal because the voice speaking to him out of this bush is none other than God. And in this case, God calls Moses' name. Now, Jesus, again, you go back to the Gospels. Jesus said, when you pray, you pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. On this occasion, uh, God is saying, all right, Moses, he's calling his name. He wants him to come in a little bit closer. And he's like, Moses, Moses, I want you to walk over here. Now, look at this verse up on the screen. God said, don't come any closer. That's close enough. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because, what's these two words with me? here with me? Because this place where you are standing, we've seen this before, but this place is what? 
It is holy ground. And what is God doing? Because God is holy in his character and in his nature. He is going to reveal early just how holy that he is. And he's like, Moses, walk over here. All right, that's far enough. Don't come any closer. Take off your sandals. Right. You're standing at a holy place, and God reveals his holiness there. But God is not done. God continues to reveal His holiness, this time to a wider spectrum of people. God reveals His holiness when He led the Israelites out of Egypt. And what we know about uh, God's relationship, His covenant relationship with Israel, is that on the basis of, and we're not going to get into the nuances of this, but on the basis of His holiness and the basis of the deliverance that God has for His people, God is going to call them, first of all, into a covenant relationship. But as you well know, you track Israel, they go into this Egyptian captivity, and that's a whole other story we'll not get into, and they were there for year after year, and they cry out to God, and God sends a deliverer, and that ties back to Moses, and, and now they, having been slaves in Egypt, they're about to be led out of Egypt into their own land, a land of promise, and God has demonstrated His power by now to Moses, and He has demonstrated His power in allowing them to escape Egypt, and you know how that happened. And now God is about to cause His holiness, hallowed be your name, God is about to cause His holiness to become known throughout the whole earth. Leviticus, maybe it's not your favorite book in the Bible, but there's a lot of great things in Leviticus. Look at this. And now he's talking to his people. Now it's a broader spectrum of people. There's not just Moses. This is the whole Israeli nation. He said, carefully obey my commands. I am the Lord. Look at this next portion. It's really important. Never dishonor. What? Say it with me. Never dishonor my holy name. That's my name, my holy name. I will show my what? I will show my holiness among the Israelites, but it's about to become broader than that. I am the Lord who sets you apart. Again, he's speaking now about covenant relationship. I've set out of all the people. You remember when God said that? Out of all the people, I didn't choose you because you were special. And what made you special is the fact that I chose you, and I'm about to set you apart as a holy people. Now, I want you to keep this in mind because we're not at that point yet, but this is ab applicable to us, and you're going to see it. It's not just for the Old Testament Israelites. This is for you and for me, and we'll come to that. I brought you out of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. So God reveals his holiness to Moses at the burning bush. He reveals his holiness by leading his people supernaturally out of Egypt. He's going to lead them. You know the story. And God, by doing so, is he, just by the deliverance in and of itself, his name is going to become renowned. His name is going to become a name that ought to be recognized as being reverent and holy. But God is not finished. God also reveals his holiness by doing that. Listen now. By doing that, God reveals his holiness, not just to Moses at the burning bush, not just to the Israelites by calling them into a covenant relationship. Now God reveals his holiness simply by doing that which is transcendently right. Look at what one writer has said. Look at this statement. How can you improve on omnipotence? How can you improve on that? 
How can you improve on perfect righteousness? This particular writer said, the only way God, and this is a great statement, the only way God can change is to be less than he is, and the Bible is adamant that that will not happen. I mean, do you capture that? For God to change, the Bible says that God changes not. How many of you are glad of that? God changes not, and if God were to change, it would diminish the reality of his holiness. God is not going to change. He reveals his holiness, and one of the ways he does it, as I mentioned, is by demonstrating that what he does is transcendently right. Look at this next verse right up here on the screen. Here it is. The Lord all-powerful, it's so good, the Lord all-powerful will receive glory by judging fairly the, the what God? The holy God will show himself holy, how? By doing what is right. God reveals himself by doing his holiness, by doing what is right. I want to do a timeout right here. I know I'm just sort of laying the foundation for how this is going to apply to you and me, but I want to just do a quick timeout right here and remind all of us of what we already know, and that is our great God. How would be his name? Our great God is without limitations. How many of you are thankful of that? There is nothing that God cannot do. Every time we invite people to come to the altar, and you hear pastors say it often, if you have a need, we're going to anoint you with oil, and we're going to pray the prayer of faith. We believe the Lord will heal the sick and will raise them up. We're a church that believes in the power of God and the miracles of God and that things happen when people pray. And this is what we know about God. There's no limits with God. There's nothing God cannot do. And you and I, you know, we come up against situations and circumstances and we're like, I don't know what to do and, and, and I don't know where to go and it feels like all I've got is God, but I'm happy to tell you if all you've got is God, God is more than enough because with God there are no limitations, there are no weaknesses with God. He does not possess any weaknesses. He's never slipped up in sin. He is right every time. He has aced every test. And he is perfectly holy and righteous in every way. You know how holy God is? God is so holy that even the angels of heaven recognize his holiness. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. You're familiar with this passage. In the year King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah the prophet talking, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a high and lofty throne. The bottom of his robe filled the temple. Angels were standing above him. Can you capture this imagery? Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They called. This is the angels now. They called to each other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of, army, of armies. Some translation, the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Jesus said, you want to know how to pray? I'll teach you how to pray. And this is how we start. And this is how Jesus began. Our Father, our Father in heaven, how would be your name? And you know how holy God is? God said, I'm so holy. Moses, I want you to stop right there because the place where you are standing is holy ground. You want to know how holy I am? God is saying, I am calling you as a nation into a covenant relationship with me, and I'm going to demonstrate my power and my holiness, and my power is not only going to be revealed among you, but the whole earth is going to, I'm going to reveal that I'm holy because I'm going to do that which is transcendently right. I am so holy that even the heavenly beings recognize my holiness. How many of you would agree at this point, our God is indeed holy? Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Holy are you, God. 
But fundamentally, it brings us to this reality. You know, it's, it's one thing to capture a little bit of an understanding as to what this means, but really, how does this apply to us? Hallowed be your name. And God reveals His holiness again and again. But then we ask, how does this impact my life? And I want to give you a couple of things to think about before we're done. And one thing that really now, it brings it out of the Old Testament, past the New Testament, into this current world, but actually beyond our current time right now. And one matter to keep in mind is this. In the end, God's holiness will be revealed to all. God will reveal. Not everybody acknowledges. How many of you know that? Not everybody acknowledges the holiness of God. It just doesn't happen. But there is coming a time when God will, in fact, reveal His holiness to the whole world. There's a writer who wrote the, the book Renewal Theology. His name is J. Rodman Williams. And I asked guys to put up this phrase. This is what he said. He said, the foundational fact about God's character, the foundational fact about God's character, take everything that we could talk about in terms of God's character, but the foundational fact about his character is that he is holy, righteous, and just in himself and in all his ways. And the world has yet to behold that, but there's coming a time, friends, when the world will have to recognize just how holy and powerful our God really is. It's not shocking to you that some people choose to ignore God. Some people choose to resist His leadings in life. Some people who are far from God, unbelievers, and and again, God is not willing, the Bible says, that any would perish. God wants people to recognize His holiness and His righteousness and His love and His grace and His mercy. But some people say, well, you know, I'm not really interested. Prayer for them is, is rarely considered. They're too busy for church. The Bible and its truth is not accessed as it ought to be. God is not relevant, at least in their life, in terms of how they think. And quite honestly, and this grieves the heart of God. And really, as a church family, it ought to grieve our heart. It ought to motivate us to share our faith and bring people to church and, and share the gospel with people that are far from God. But quite honestly, there are scores of people living today who will not alter their thinking in this regard. It's tragic, but it's true. Will not alter their thinking in that regard before they die. And then there's another group or subgroup of people who possess an intellectual belief in God. And they may even make Great claims, boast of great claims that, that they're associated with Jesus. And yet in reality, and I'm not trying to be negative here, I'm just trying to state reality. In reality, they are practical and functional atheists. And the reason so is the Bible is not guiding their life. It's like I read the Bible, maybe, but I'm not really allowing the Bible to guide my life. It's, you know, the instructional path of the Bible, I'm not really pursuing that. Or, you know, their prayers, you know, at best are perfunctory or powerless. Passive toward church, passive toward ministry. And God is not revered. He's primarily appeased. And is it possible that at the end of time, that they will be shot when the clock runs out and time in life as we know it is no more. Because there's coming a time when God will reveal His power and His holiness to the whole world. And that ought to motivate you and I because if you're like me, you've got people that you love and you care about that are far from God. You've got people that you're like, you're just earnestly praying. I mentioned this at Lakeside recently. 
I prayed. I prayed for my dad for over 20 years that my dad would become a Christian. You think I ever felt like giving up? All the time. I'm like, you know what? I've been praying and praying, and I don't know if this has ever happened when you've been praying for your loved ones. Have you ever prayed for a loved one, and it seems like the more you pray, the farther they drifted from their relationship with God? And that was the story of my dad. And it would grieve my heart. I'd call my dad, and I'd talk to him about Jesus, and he was never rude. I mean, he, he was never pro, profane. He just wasn't willing at that point in his life to make a decision to follow Jesus. And I would pray, and I would pray, and I'd talk, and I would talk. A lot of you know the story. Um, you know, my, my dad passed away uh, just a few years ago, four months later. Um, my mom passed away. Somebody said, one of the staff one time, they didn't know my parents had been divorced for a long time. They said, oh, and they were so sweet about it. They're like, oh, because mom had just passed away, and they didn't know my parents had been like separate, you know, worlds for since I was 15 years of old, 15 years of age, and somebody in the office, again, so sweet about it, said, oh, your, your mom must have really been missing your dad. And I'm like, not really. I'm hoping they're going to get along better in heaven than they ever did on earth, you know, really, and but I prayed, and I'm so happy to tell you that praying and praying and believing, knowing that God's going to reveal his holiness and his power at the end of time, the whole world is going to see it. I'm so glad that when I sat there at my dad's funeral, my cousin did it. Dad didn't want me to do it, even though I was his preacher son, because he just he felt like it would be too tough. Probably would have been, but this is what I was so happy to hear my cousin talk about it because he had had a conversation with dad as well. And he told me, Jeff, I know that I know that I know that I know that your dad gave his heart and life to Jesus sometime before he died. And that, again, the power of God, the power of God. And God's going to reveal his holiness power at the end of time. And that ought to motivate us and compel us to do everything we can to reach our loved ones. So many times I want to just say, God, I give up. But I didn't. Take a look at Revelation chapter 15 and verse 4 up here on the screen. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. Look at this. It's going to happen. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Your righteous act. Here's another way this is applicable to us. And I want you to really get this. I want you to not be thinking about your grocery list or what's going on at work tomorrow when you're going to visit family. I want you to really get this because I think this will help you. God, through Christ, has set us apart and made us holy. You remember when I pointed out to you a little bit earlier where God said, you know, out of all the people all over the earth, you know, I could have chosen. It wasn't because of you. It was because of me, and I've chose you, and you are going to become a holy people. How many of you are glad that that's just not Old Testament reality, but that is for you and for me, where God says, you know what? You are my covenant people. I call you into relationship with me, and by so doing, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to make you righteous. I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to declare you holy. I'm going to purify you. I am going to sanctify you. Now, how do we know this? We once again go to the Bible because the Bible is clear about this. I want you to see it. Look at this. This is Hebrews. Look at it right up here on the screen. We, this is us. This is not, this is not, not Old Testament Israel. This is us. This is you and me. 
If you believe that, wave your hand at me like this so I know you're here and not thinking about work tomorrow. All right. We have been, we, us, we have been set apart. Not Old Testament Israel, just them. We have been set apart as holy because Jesus Christ, why are we able to be in that position? Because Jesus Christ did what God wanted him to do by sacrificing his body once and for all. Now, this quick theological lesson, it will only take a moment, but I want you to be sure you get it because once you appreciate and value it, it's, you know it already, but I want to remind you of it. What actually happens when you and I become a follower of Jesus? What actually happens? I want you to think about it. What happened to you when you crossed that line of faith and you said, Jesus Christ, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be the Savior of my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. What fundamentally happened? Now, theological terms, but I'll just walk them out real briefly. Here they are, three, regeneration. When you and I gave our life to Jesus, the Bible talks about there is, theologically speaking, regeneration. What does that mean? It means that we were, we were recipients of a new life, a new and better life. We had a new birth. The Bible talks about we must be, remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus? He said, Lord, what do I have to do? He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. When you and I became a Christian, when we bowed our knee, accepted Jesus, Jesus came into our life. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a do-over. I'm going to give you a mulligan. I'm going to give you a brand new start. I'm going to give you a new and better life than the one that you have been living. How many of you are grateful for that? Regeneration. But that's not all that happened. Because God, remember, God wanted to make us holy, just like he did Old Testament Israel. So here's another term, and I'll walk it out. Not only regeneration, but justification. Justification is a judicial term. What does it mean? It means to acquit. It means to declare righteous, to pronounce that we're accepted. And God did that. And he said, not because you deserved it, not because you earned it, not because you were good enough that you sort of conferred it upon yourself, but here's what I'm going to do. I am going to justify you. I am going to acquit you of everything that you've ever done, every sin that you've ever committed. If a person is in Christ, what does the Bible say? A new creation, old things are passed away, everything becomes new, and God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to acquit you of all the wrong that you've ever done in your life. How many of you are grateful for that? I've got to raise two hands and a foot. I mean, I'm like, oh God, I'm so thankful that not only am I regenerated, I've been justified. But here's that term we often hear, and it is that we've been sanctified. And this is what happens. We, we're separated from sin in the world. We're dedicated to God. So when we bow our knee, give our life to Jesus, ask him to become the savior and the leader of our life, this is what God does. It's so powerful and it's so amazing. I am going to give you a new life. I'm going to regenerate you. I'm going to give you a new birth. You get a new and a better life. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to acquit you of all the wrong that you've ever done. And I'm going to separate you unto myself. And I'm going to declare, just like Old Testament Israel, you, and this is you, you are holy. But you may be like me. You ever have days you don't feel too holy? But it does not deny the reality of what happened. And, and we see an expression, all three of these things wrapped up in this verse. Look at what Paul says right here. I want you to look at it here on the screen. He says, in the past, some of you were like that, talking about a life far from God. In the past, some of you were like that, but you were, what's the words there? Two words. You were washed clean. 
What is he talking about here? Is that one of the words I mentioned? Regeneration. You were washed clean. You have been regenerated. New life, new birth. Look at this next part. You were made You were made holy. You were sanctified. And you were made, not just holy, but you were made right with what? With God. You are justified. You have been acquitted in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Now, we're about out of time, and I want to just leave you with this thought. I think that one of the things that God would ask us to do would be to say, God, I want to, I want to reach spiritually. I want to, I want to reach. I want to go beyond what is normal. I, I think it would be just a, such a powerful thing for all of us if we would say, God, here's what I want to do. I want to open my life up to a righteous revolution. I want to become more like you. In regards to sanctification, which we mentioned just a moment ago, it certainly appears that sanctification, again, I'll just hit this quick, but I want you to think about it. It's such a powerful truth that sanctification is both positional and instantaneous. And it has to be because it's linked with justification. But here's the part I don't want you to miss. Sanctification, it's positional. We are, we are sanctified. It is instantaneous because we're justified and sanctified. But it is also, catch this, it is also practical and progressive. And that ties back to our spiritual growth. See, I wish, I mentioned to you I became a Christian when I was 15, right? I wish, I wish, I wish that at that night when I walked down to the altar of the church, my home church in Atlanta, Georgia, gave my life to Jesus, I so badly wish that I had been instantly sanctified. But I know me, and I was not instantly sanctified. Positionally, I was sanctified. But because sanctification is positional but also progressive, guess what we reach for to become more and more like Jesus till Christ be formed in us. And that has the potential to dominate every area of, of our life where we say, here, Jesus, here's what I want to do with my thoughts. I want to bring my thoughts. I want my thoughts to be more in alignment with you. You know, you've, you've declared me positionally. I'm, I'm righteous. It's for all holy. I've been made righteous in your sight. But God, here's what I want to do. I, I, want to, I want to be holy. I want to be more righteous. Look at this verse on the screen. Matthew 5.48 says this. And again, I know none of us can reach perfection, but look at this. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, anybody here perfect? If you are, raise your hand, and we'll know that you are not perfect because you are not honest. And we're not perfect. But how many of you know we can grow? Pastor talks about that all the time, how we grow and through our devotions and how we grow and, our, and why we come to church and why we get connected to small groups and why do we serve in ministry, why do we give, why do we, because we're growing. Sanctification, listen, positionally, instantaneously, we were sanctified, but it is also progressive. We are seeking to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, how long is that going to last? How long? I'll tell you how long. Till our last day on earth. Has this ever happened to you? God deals with me about an area of my life that he's not pleased with, and then he gives me the victory in that area, and then I'm like, I'm feeling pretty good about that for at least 24 hours, and then God reveals to me something else that needs to be worked on. Has that ever happened to you? But aren't you glad God doesn't give up on us, that he's working, and we say, God, here's my thoughts, here's my words, here's my attitude, 
Here's what I want to be. I want to become increasingly more and more. I know, I know that I've been regenerated. I know that I'm justified. I've been acquitted. I'm holy. But I want to become more. I want to be sanctified. I want to become more and more like you. I've got a very, very close, and I'll close with this because this is, this has uh, been pretty monumental in our family of late. Um, and it's just a reminder that God never stops working and we can keep growing. I've got a family member I'm very, very, very close to. Love this person. Very important in my life. But this person lives in another uh, city in our state and uh, up in the northern portion of our state. And he has been an alcoholic, not even a functional, but he's been like an off-the-chain alcoholic for over 20 years. And like Dad, I've been praying for this guy a long, long time. But I'm happy to tell you, and he just sent me a little deal the other night. He's gotten connected, connected primarily to Jesus, which is what he needed, but he's trying to get some help. And he sent me something the other day that said, after 20 years, I am now 60 days sober. And he's giving God all the credit and all the glory. And God is saying, I just want to grow you. He gave his life to Jesus, and God said, all right, here's what I'm going to do. You are saved. You are regenerated. You are born again, and I'm going to quit you. I'm going to justify you, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sanctify you, boy. You're going to grow, and aren't you glad that God doesn't give up on us? That may not be our deal, but all of us have a deal, don't we? And God is saying, I want to grow you. And so maybe tonight, we just say, God, I want to increase and become more and more like you. Because you are holy and you declared me holy, I really want to live that out in my life. How many of you are in for that? And God's going to work with us. Would you stand for a closing prayer, everybody? Thank you, Father. We stand in this place tonight. And maybe you're here and, or you're watching online and you've not bowed your knee. You've not given yourself to Jesus Christ. You've never invited Christ to become the Savior and the leader of your life. And, and right here, right now in this sanctuary or the other end of that computer screen, you can invite Jesus to come into your life and he will make you holy. He'll give you a new and a better life. He'll treat you so you've never sinned. And he'll begin a growing and maturing process in your life that deep down you long for. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to just pray this prayer after me, everybody. And we'll all pray it together because it will help those who are praying it for the first time or those who are rededicating your life to Jesus. Just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for going to the cross. Thank you for dying for me. I need you in my life. I need forgiveness because I've sinned again and again. It blows my mind that you can make me holy. You can give me a new start, but I know that you can. So best that I know, I invite you, Jesus, to come into my life, to forgive me of all my sins. Give me a brand new start, a do-over. I put my hand in your hand, and for the rest of my life, I will follow you. In Jesus' name. name. And everybody said, we're going to open the altars, and so we just invite you to come. And maybe you want somebody to agree. Maybe your challenge is not the challenge of my family member, but maybe you've got a struggle. You just want somebody to agree with you. As Pastor so often says, if you need healing in your body, we have anointing oil, and we want to anoint you with oil and pray and believe the Lord will heal the sick. 
and raise them up. So we're going to take a moment to do that, and then I'll come back and pray the prayer of benediction. worship team's going to sing a little bit longer and it's not too late for you to come. In fact, you know if you've got a need and if I've got to beg you to come, then you weren't serious about it anyhow. But if you're saying, I'm serious, I need help. I need God to I need God to touch me. I need God to grow me. This area keeps tripping me up or you need God to heal your body. Then you can come. I'm going to go ahead and pray and, and they're going to sing a little while longer and then whatever you want to slip out, you feel free to do so. Be sure that you're back in church Sunday morning. We're going to have a great, great day. But you come. It's not too late. Father, thank you that you are always working in our life, shaping us and conforming us and growing us into what you want us to be. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done and all that you are doing. We give you praise. Bless our church family this week. Give them an incredible week. Bring us all back to your house on Sunday. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Love you, everybody. It's not too late to come. Somebody pray with me. presence